Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Kalen's Coffee Talk is a CastBox original produced alongside with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. Now, obviously you can listen to my coffee talks wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope that you'll give CastBox a try because I think it's the bee's knees. So with that, pour yourself a cup and let's get to it. Honor the space between no longer and not yet. Nancy Levin. Hey guys, what's up? And welcome back to another Coffee Talk podcast episode. For today, I am actually just finishing off my coffee. I just spent the last 45 minutes doing my free write. So I used one coffee in conjunction from that task of the day to this task of the day, which is filming another coffee talk with you guys. It's been like over a week since I've recorded with you. So it feels nice to be sitting at my desk, staring out into the abyss, aka into some trees that are starting to sprout a little bit. Thank God Toronto's getting a little warmer and looking at the water and just hanging out with you guys. So for today, I wanted to talk about something maybe a bit more different than I normally do. I don't know exactly where this inspiration came from, but I was recently just thinking about the fact that I've learned a lot, I would say, in the first 25 years of my life. Now, I'm not naive to believe that when I'm 50, I'll laugh at the fact that I ever said that because I'm sure there's going to be so much more for me to learn in the next 25 years. But it's safe to say that I feel like I've definitely learned a lot of things in the last 25 years surrounding the sun. It's funny, actually, just yesterday, I was in my hometown Kingston for my brother's birthday and we were out for his birthday lunch with my mom and she happened to bring a bunch of old photos that she found. And it was like one of those weird moments where for the first time I like, okay, maybe not the first time this has happened before, but for the first time in a while, I had that like epiphany where your whole life kind of flashes before your eyes and you realize how quickly everything went from being that kid in the photo to exactly who you are right now. Everything just like zipped right by and it all made sense, but it was also like, I'm still so much inside that girl that's in this photo. It's just like, even though I am that girl, it's been a few years since then and she's still part of me, but there's so much more to me now. And it was just like a really cool concept and I had already planned to record this podcast. So I feel like in a weird way, the universe has been planning for this to happen. You know, it's all just been aligning for us to be sitting here talking today about the 25 things that I've learned in the first 25 years of my life. I really feel like reflecting on things can shed a light on how far we've come. And just recently, I feel like I've been really hard on myself on the things that I feel like I haven't yet accomplished. And I've been so gung-ho on just trying to fix things. And I'm putting air quotations around fix because I've just realized recently just how kind of negative that mindset is. And it was just like a really refreshing thing to write out these 25 things solely because it made me realize like, okay, even though I still have a lot to learn and even though I'm still making mistakes. It's cool because I've learned at least these 25 things in the last 
few years that I know I'm going to be able to carry with me as I continue to learn more. It's like a nice little way to, I guess, become aware of the fact that we don't have to be perfect. And even though we might not feel like we're making a lot of lead way in our lives, when you really reflect and look back every now and then without getting too caught up in the past, you're really able to see like, oh, okay, I'm not as far off as I think I am, or I'm not as far gone as I think I am. Not that I would say I would think I'm far gone. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Basically what I'm trying to get at is that when you reflect on the things that you have learned to date, it makes taking the blow of things that you're still learning a little lighter. So anyway, I'm going to jump in because we've got 25 things to talk about today, starting with number one. Now, one little thing I will tell you is I kind of got a little carried away with this. I got really fun with it and I was trying to actually pin down the thing that I learned to the year of the task at hand. So like number one would be something that I would have maybe learned when I was one. Now, obviously in the first five years of our lives, we don't have that much memory, although there's like little flashbacks I think we have another topic for another time. Um, But like little deja vus and things that I do think that we actually implement a lot of the things that we are introduced to because it is the first five years of our lives. But anyways, each like number has a theme to that year. So let's jump in. Number one, trust in something bigger than yourself. Now I put this as number one because obviously when you're one years old or you're in the first year of you know, existence, I guess, you're hoping that you're going to want to trust something bigger than you because you can't do anything. You can't eat, you can't sit up, or I mean, you have to learn how to sit up. I don't exactly remember or when I started walking or sitting. I don't know when is the normal age for that because I don't have kids of my own and I don't frankly remember. But uh, I would assume in the first year of your life, you need to be able to trust in something bigger than you. And that is something that we end up carrying along with us in our lives because of the fact that that is one of the first things you have to learn, that there is something bigger than you always and you can't fear it. You have to trust it. And luckily for most of us, I mean, I think that we are born into this world and we learn to trust whoever is taking care of us. It doesn't necessarily have to be a parent, but I learned to trust both my parents. I learned to trust, you know, my grandparents. I learned to trust my older sister. And that is something that I wouldn't have even comprehended at one years old, but it's something that as you get older, you start to kind of grow that circle of bigger things that you trust. And now at 25, the thing that I trust that's bigger than me is my belief system. It's, you know, the universe, it's energy, it's love, it's whatever you want to call it. Some people call it God. Some people call it the source. I don't know what you want to call it, but whatever it is, I know that it's bigger than me. And that is what I choose to trust in now when I feel afraid. And when I feel like I can't do something for myself or like I can't show up for myself, I always try and trust in that thing that's bigger than me. And funny enough, and there's a video coming for this on my YouTube channel, but I recently purchased a lot of like self-help books and not even necessarily self-help, but motivational books. And one in particular that I'm just completely like engulfed in and I've been so just, I guess, in love with learning about it is the chakras. Now it's something I've always kind of known about, but this book really dives into them and I've been finding it so, so interesting. And the first chakra, which is your root chakra, which is at the base of your spine, or some people might believe that it's in like your feet, the soles of your feet, are implemented in the first five years of your life. So year one to five. And that's where you learn where you root and how you feel secure and how you feel safe. And so a lot of the times when we don't feel secure and we don't feel safe, we have to go back to the first five years in our lives and ask, okay, well, what 
didn't we trust? Where did we learn to untrust? And that happens for almost all of us, I think, in some kind of way. So again, I can do a whole podcast on chakras in another time, but boiling it back down since we still have 24 things to do. Um, the first thing is to trust in something bigger than you. Number two is to try new things. Now, when you're two years old, you obviously start trying new things. You're putting everything in your mouth. You're grabbing at everything. You're wanting to feel everything. You're wanting to taste everything. You're wanting to like smell, see, just do. It's like the troubled twosomes, you know? And so try new things in the sense of getting out there and pushing outside of your comfort zone in a curious way. When we're two, we have zero fear. When you think about a two-year-old child or a two-year-old baby, they are not like running at things thinking, oh my God, I hope I don't fall. They're running at things being like, what is this? And I feel like as we get older, we unlearn that. We start to learn more fear, which is totally human and totally normal. But I think that we can learn a lot from two-year-olds and even our two-year-old selves if we can like, you know, summon them up every now and then to just... Just try new things with curiosity instead of trying new things with fear or not trying new things out of fear. Number three is to speak with conviction. Again, I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure by the time we're three, we're talking. And so to speak with conviction means to learn how to communicate, to learn how to say what you really want to say. And I think that this is so, so important, especially in your 20s. I feel like you almost relearn how to speak with conviction in your 20s. And I'm in the middle of that right now because in your early 20s, you obviously know how to communicate. And some people excel faster at that than others. But I think you really start to analyze, or at least I have been at this age at 25, okay, but what am I really saying here? Because our whole world, we all talk, but do we actually know what we're trying to say? Do we actually know what we're trying to communicate? And where is it coming from? Like, where is all of these emotions coming from? What is our meaning? What is our purpose? And what is our mission here? And when we speak with conviction, it means that you're speaking from a place of, I know what I'm trying to say, and I know what I'm trying to get across, but without being too closed off to what other people are trying to say and get across as well. So three, speak with conviction, or I guess in another way, learn how to communicate. And that leads me to the fourth thing I've learned in the 25 years of my life is to do so with integrity. When I say speak with conviction, I know that it can be really easy to speak with purpose and speak with power and speak with pride, but to do so with integrity is basically what we end up learning after how we learn to speak. Because I think when we're four, you know, like I can remember going into kindergarten and being four and being like, yeah, my parents let me watch Family Guy. I'm, I'm cool. And that was such like a lie. Like I remember telling who is still my best friend now, Christine, that I was allowed to watch Family Guy on the weekends. And that is just truly and blatantly a lie. And I don't know why this memory is so deeply ingrained into my mind. I remember exactly what room we were in, in our elementary school. We were like under this, like, you know, those, um, what are they called? Block slides that are like blue and orange and yellow. Anyway, so irrelevant and not important. But I remember talking to her and just being like underneath that slide and telling her that I got to watch Family Guy and her being like, what? Like that show so inappropriate. Like that's so cool. And me just being like, yeah, I'm cool. And realizing like I had lied. Like that was like the first time I remember blatantly lying. And so the whole integrity thing comes from you can speak with conviction and completely do so while lying. And so when you bring integrity into it, when you bring authenticity into it, I feel like that is where we really do connect with our purpose. And we really do connect with our mission here on earth because I mean, people can talk all they want and we happen to do it a lot. I mean, I think we're all really good at it 
it. And I know that I talk way too much or more, I guess, than I probably should. But when you back it up with integrity and honesty, what you say actually can plant a seed in other people and actually can connect with other people. Number five is to share no matter the circumstances. Now, I am going to be so honest with you guys. I was not a good sharer as a kid. I was a middle child. Okay, so I had an older sister and I had a younger brother and I was always the middle one. So I had to share everything. Like my two siblings are 10 years apart and I'm five years between the both of them. So no matter what I got, I either had to like share it with my younger brother, whether it be like good food or if I was cooking or if I got a cool toy or a cool thing that I got to like play with or whatever, I had to share it with Jake. And if I got anything that, or my poor sister got anything, she would automatically have to share with me. And so it kind of just turned into this thing that I didn't want to share when I didn't have to. And I think that that is Although completely understandable when you're five, as you get older, you start to realize that like when you don't share things, whether it be knowledge, whether it be, you know, opportunity, whether it be wisdom, when you hold things for yourself, yeah, it might feel nice to have that safety of this is mine and nobody else's. But that kind of life gets really, really lonely. And I think maybe all kids could say, or at least one point or another, that we weren't the best at sharing. We all have a little bit of ego in us and we want to keep things for ourselves because that feels safe. But when we learn to share openly and give openly, I think that that actually ends up being that we have a lot more to like call our own at the end of the day. You know, you get blessed with a lot more things. And so no matter the circumstances, no matter even if you feel like you have nothing to share, if you only have like a little bit to your name, still share in whatever way you can. It doesn't have to be donating money all the time. It doesn't have to be necessarily giving away your things, but it could even just be sharing a smile on a bad day and that in itself will eventually come back to you in another way. I truly do believe that. Number six is to only bite when stepped on. Now, I don't know how many of you guys are Taylor Swift fans. I personally am and forever will be, even when I'm like, oh, okay, I mess with this whole me single, but I'll wait for the album to really dive deep. She did like a full interview for Elle magazine just before a couple months ago. I don't know if you guys read it, but I did. And one of the things she said that really stuck with me was only bite when you're stepped on. Now, I say this very, very carefully because I am still kind of on the fence with where I sit on this. I think that I can be somebody that is like peace and love and that is just like the inner Piscean in me. But the whole only bite when stepped on means that like you don't have to always be so defensive. You don't always have to be so ready to defend yourself or so ready to attack people when you feel threatened. I think that when we feel threatened, it can make it so that we're easily triggered to bite. We're easily triggered to kind of prance or pounce on things or to assume the worst, you know? And instead of doing that, I think that we only need to bite when we've actually been stepped on. When someone has actually wronged you, you have every right to stick up for yourself. I think that that is a really important lesson to learn, at least for me anyways, because I feel like that is something that I never really learned how to do. I always just kind of took the stepping on with pride kind of, and went on with my life. But then I would hold on to all of this resentment. And you know, those nights where you wake up in the middle of the night and I did this so much in high school and I'd be like, God dang it. I wish I would have said this when that girl said that to me the other day, or I wish I would have done like that feeling comes from not sticking up for yourself. And I don't think it necessarily has to be bite in the sense of being negative, but I do think that 
we have every right to stick up for ourselves when someone's stepping on us. And we just have to be careful. At least I try and remind myself to be careful to actually be able to decipher when you're actually being stepped on or when your ego is being stepped on. Because I think that that is when we tend to bite too easy or our bites become a little bit too fast triggered, you know? But when you are being used, when you're being taken advantage of, when you're being stepped on, if someone's even just being outwardly wrong or mean to you, don't be afraid to bite back. And you can bite back with kindness or you can bite back with however you feel is right for you in the moment, but only ever have to do so if you're being stepped on. Number seven is to adventure outside your comfort zone. When I think back on my life, I feel like seven is the first year that I really started to notice like things I was good at or things that I really enjoyed doing that maybe everybody else didn't also enjoy doing. And so adventuring outside your comfort zone, putting yourself out there, whether it's getting up on stage, whether it's public reading. I I think it was like when I was seven, I had to get up and read out my first poem ever. And just being like, that was so horribly awesome. Like getting up and reading something that I said or wrote, even though I think it was like the roses are red, violets are blue type of thing that you just had to fill in the last line. I was just like, that was so cool. And that was so far outside of my comfort zone. I want to do that again. And it's crazy when you really start to explore your psyche And recently I feel like in the last year or two, I've been doing that and also doing it alongside with like a therapist and also too, like there's Jane who I see at the rock store here in Toronto. She does really, really amazing tarot readings. And a lot of the time she's just a very intuitive person. So we have really cool chats. And so exploring like what has been ingrained in us from those years that we didn't necessarily notice, but we're able to reflect on now. I can remember back to being seven. And that is when I really started to fall in love with things like writing and reading and curiosity and creativity and getting lost in these dreamscape worlds inside my mind. And funny enough, if that never happened, if I never stepped outside of that comfort zone to allow myself to really play with those things, especially being a kid, I am not sure if at this point in my life, I would have done a lot of the things that I'm doing now. And so I think that that is so deeply rooted from stepping outside of our comfort zones. It might be uncomfortable at first. It might feel really weird and raw and uncomfortably vulnerable, but I think it really sets at least the foundation, the fertilizer, whatever metaphor you want to use for it to do some amazing and incredible things later on in our lives. Because the more you step outside of your comfort zone, the more comfortable you get there. And the bigger your expansion as a human being grows and grows and grows to the point that you're comfortable with like things that you could have never fathomed before. I honestly can say like getting up and speaking in front of people is something that I still to this day don't love doing, especially if I have to read something I've memorized. But if I can get up and just speak from my heart, that is something that used to make me feel so uncomfortable. And I love it now. Like that is something that makes me feel so much pride and joy, just connecting with other humans that I don't even necessarily know, but just getting up and just being like, let's talk. And in a way I'm doing it here with you guys. Now I remember even YouTube or my first podcast being like, this is so weird. Like I'm not filming myself. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm new here. And now I feel like I'm completely in my zone when I'm podcasting and talking to you. So it's just so cool when you step outside of your comfort zone and you really see what you're capable of, where it can actually take you. Which leads me to number eight, and that is to dream 
big. So once you actually get a sense of what you're capable of, dreaming big becomes so fun. And I am not one to believe that we should keep our dreams realistic. Now hear me out, okay? I know that that might not sound great, but I mean in the sense of, I think that we are all so used to playing it small. And it makes sense because as human beings, we often just want to default to the path of least resistance. So dreaming big can be overwhelming. Dreaming big can be scary. It can mean really having to push ourselves to see what we're capable of. And I think a lot of the times we're just as afraid of success as we are of failure. So we tend to think small and dream small so that we can stay safe. But I think when you dream big, I think when you really ask yourself, if everything were to go right in your life, what would you do? Like, what would you go for? What would you accomplish? Where would you be? And what would you be doing? And who would that person be like? Like, who would that person look like? And what would they be doing every day? And don't play it safe either. Like, really ask yourself if you could be anywhere in the world, if you could be doing anything in the world, like, what would it be? It doesn't necessarily have to happen, but it is such a good way to get yourself in the right direction with your life and to at least set your target on something so that you can aim somewhere close or end up somewhere close. So never be afraid to really dream big and to go for it. Which leads me to number nine, and that is to never doubt your capabilities. Now, this is one that I can only, I don't know if there's actually anything I can tie to being nine years old and learning this, but I think that after you do dream big and you step outside of your comfort zone, it can be so easy at the first sign of failure, at the first sign of setback to doubt yourself. And that little seed can root and wreak so much havoc in your life if you don't capture it and like stop it, you know? When we doubt our capabilities, when we learn to doubt ourselves and when we get really, really good at it, like I mean really good at doubting ourselves, we stop ourselves from so many amazing opportunities. And I know this is so freaking corny, but loving ourselves. Like when you learn how to doubt yourself all the time, it becomes this really unhealthy, I guess like tape recorder in your mind that's constantly on repeat and replay every time the tiniest little thing goes wrong. You're like, yeah, well, that's just me. Like I always mess up or yep, that's just me. Nothing ever goes right in my life. And that just ends up becoming a truth that doesn't have to be a truth. So don't doubt what you're capable of and know that just just because you do fail and you do have setbacks because we all do, that doesn't mean you're any less capable. It just means that you're being redirected to try it a different way or to learn something so that when you do get back up and you do go back at it, you're going to be more equipped than you were the first time. Okay. So number 10, change is good. Now, the reason why I put this one here is because again, I have this really, really weird thing some friends and family might be able to confirm that I have like a weird ability to remember the most random like circumstances in my life. Like I won't just remember what I was doing one day. I'll remember what I was doing, what I was wearing, what my friend was wearing, what was said, like everything down to a T. It's almost like when I think of it now, I would say that the mindfulness that I'm cultivating in my life now through meditation is one of those things that those little tiny glimpses of it that I had without realizing that that's what I was doing as a kid are how these memories were so deeply ingrained in me. Like the first time I ever lied to my friend Christine, the reason why I can recall exactly where I was is because it made me suddenly aware of myself where I was just like, whoa, I just lied. And so this is another one. I remember on my 10th birthday being like, whoa, and having this epiphany in the upstairs bathroom of my old house and just being like, 
I'm a double digiter. Like my age is two digits and it will probably stay there for the rest of my life. Hopefully, unless I make it to a hundred, which would also be cool. And then three digits rock on. But odds are, if we're going from like human average lifespan, I'm going to stay a double digiter forever. I will never be a single digit person again. And that epiphany made me realize that like things are changing. I think that was the first time I really maybe noticed that like I'm changing. I'm going to be a teenager soon. Like it's just like one of those things that you start to really notice change. And the thing is change can seem so scary because it puts you again outside of your comfort zone. And the more and more that I'm doing therapy and the more and more I'm learning about anxiety as a whole and my own personal experiences with anxiety, anything that makes us feel like we are not in our norm can seem like a threat. And so when you learn to embrace change and you learn to make change good, it becomes a superpower because then nothing tends to scare you. So when I look back at my life again and I see all the times I used to change around my room as a kid. I think that that was my way of trying to feel like I was embracing the change going on around me because we're so out of control of so many things. There's like two circles of what we tend to fear and worry. The bigger circle is everything we fear and worry about. And then there's a smaller circle inside that circle that is what we actually have influence over. And so when we learn to kind of let go of the things that we can't change, but that are always changing and zone in on the circle of the things that we can change, we learn to basically embrace the outside change by making inside change. Does that make sense? So changing around my room as a kid was one of the ways that I learned to embrace the outside change that I had no control over or whether it's changing up your hair, changing up whatever it is, but finding a way to make change seem good is a superpower that you will always be able to pull on in your life. And if you are struggling with any kind of change in your life right now, or if you ever do come up on new changes that you're maybe not so excited about, use that as I guess like a a moment of opportunity or awareness to be like, okay, this is change that I don't love, but let's partner it or pair it with a change that I am gonna choose that's going to make this change feel good. 11, honor those who came before you. This is one of those things that I think is so, so, so important. And it's something that we might not be as good at as we once were, because obviously with things like social media and just, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like we don't necessarily respect our elders the way that we once did, or by we, I mean civilization, because we weren't around. But I think back in the day, there weren't as many accessible sources of information. And so we used to have to turn to our elders to find those sources of information, whether it was our grandparents, whether it was our parents, whether it was anyone older than us, a teacher, a mentor. And I think that when we learn to actually honor those people, and they're not always right either, but I think that we can learn something from everyone, especially the ones who came before us. It can even be older siblings. Like I remember for so long, it took me and my sister until the time I think I was like 14, 15 to really start getting along. And now we are best freaking friends. And she is someone that even though we're pretty close in age, we're five years apart, she still has five more years of wisdom than I do. So when I don't know who to turn to, especially as like a woman or a girl, and I'm having like a problem that I really just want to talk to another woman about, I oftentimes first turn to my sister because she came before me. She learned a lot of these lessons first and I'm able to, you know, reap some of the wisdom that she has learned or whether it's going to you know, a grandparent, a teacher, a pa- like anyone, anyone that's come before you, it can even be within your field of work, wherever you work, 
whatever your career is, to go to those who have been there before you, the ones who have been at it longer. You can learn so much there if you can put your pride aside and put your ego aside and admit that maybe there's things we don't know and there's things that we can learn from not Google or not, you know, just instantly researching it online. Go to the people that you know that came before you and you will find so many pockets of wisdom that you have just been overlooking. 12, take care of yourself. Now I put this one here because TMI, I definitely hit puberty at like 11, 12 and 12 being the year that like I got my period for the first time and I really became a woman and all of that goodness, um, cringe. I really had to learn at the age of 12 to take care of myself. Now, I ended up posting a video back in the wintertime that kind of went into the relationship I had with my mom. And it's one of those things that I love my mom to death and I always will, but we've never been close. So when I did go through puberty, it was a really, really, really hard thing for me to kind of navigate on my own. And I had to learn really quickly and at a younger age how to really take care of myself. Like what did I need to buy for shaving my legs? And was I supposed to wear skirts? And how should I do my hair so that it's not so greasy because so-and-so at school was making fun of me? And, you know, you really start to learn like how to properly take care of yourself at that age. And I think that that is something that we never should ever forget because as we get older and the things that we need to do in any given day become bigger and bigger and take up more of our time, it can be so easy to put ourselves on the back burner, our bodies on the back burner. It can be so easy to just run forward like full steam ahead with our heads and not take care of our bodies too. And I think that those things are so just interconnected that we can't forget to constantly take care of ourselves and not in a selfish way, but just in like, honestly, in a way of just taking care of yourself so that you can turn around and then take care of other people and show up for other people. So whether it is, you know, a face mask and a pizza on a Friday or a yoga class and a big Buddha bowl on a Sunday, how you take care of yourself is going to change any given day, but just always be sure that you're not forgetting to do so because you're important and doing so is going to show yourself that you believe so too. Number 13, you are likable just as you are. This, again, is one of those things that is such a hard thing to learn. And I think especially when we're younger, but even now, this is something I'm still learning every day. I think that it can be really, really easy for us to find all of the ways that we feel we need to fix ourselves and find all the ways that we might not feel likable, especially if you're in any given situation where you're being yourself or you show kind of a goofier side of you and someone just does not mess with it. Like they're just like, nope, don't like that. Or you get any kind of like reaction that you just don't like or that you feel kind of was abrasive to you just being you. It can be so easy to think that the problem is you and to forget that the problem isn't even necessarily the other person or whoever is involved. A lot of the times it's just a matter of we don't all connect over the same things. We are not all the same people. And that is a gift. Like, could you imagine how boring this world would be if we were all identically the same? But that doesn't mean that you can't be likable just as you are, even if you are working on becoming a better person. I think the only way we actually can become better people is when that change and that forward progression and expansiveness of who we are becomes 
or comes from a deeper rooted sense of like, I like myself just as I am, but that doesn't mean I can't grow into something or someone better. And so learning how to like yourself exactly as you are, no matter what you think you need to change or fix about yourself is always going to be the first step in making any like actually rooted change in your life. And this is something that I think we start to learn at age 13 or unlearn at age 13 and then have to relearn later on in our lives. And number 14, the difference between lonely and being alone. Wow. This was like a big one that I think was a bigger theme in my life than I ever really noticed because I am really, really, really good at putting a label on things. And I think that if I even have one bad emotion about something, it can be very easy for me to paint everything in that emotion. And so when I look back on my life, I did definitely suffer from depression and I still do sometimes, like definitely seasonally in the winter. But anytime I've gone through that phase of my life, it becomes way too easy for me to paint a whole year in that color or a whole place in that color. Like I can think back to the last apartment I lived in before I moved to Toronto, Ontario. And when I look at that apartment, I went through so many dips in and out of my mental health, especially with grappling that depression. And so when I think about that apartment, I think about depression. But I had so many amazing good times in that apartment too. And even though I spent a lot of my time alone that year, it didn't always mean I was lonely. There were so many times I was enjoying my own company. There were so many times I loved just doing my own thing. And so when you really learn the difference between being lonely and being alone, you can really pinpoint the fact that just because you might not be surrounded by people all the time or surrounded by a massive friend group or be dating somebody or madly in love or feel like you have a huge support system or a huge family there is still nothing wrong with being alone. There's only ever really something wrong or maybe not wrong, but something that is a time to shed light on it if you're feeling lonely. Being alone can be a superpower and being alone can be such an iconic, amazing way for you to learn more about yourself, to grow more within yourself and to really like, you know, reflect on these things we're even reflecting on today, like what you've learned so far in your life and what you want to do and what's your mission and what's your purpose and all of that. And I don't think you can do that without actually learning how to enjoy your own company and spend time alone. But do know that there is a big difference between that and being lonely. And it's okay to feel both and it's okay to honor both. Number 15, you don't have to fight. That is something I put here because, again, I will be completely honest with you guys. I got into my first fight when I was 15 years old. It is not that important of a story, I guess, maybe, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing to admit because I feel like a lot of people that know me now are like, what? You've been in a fight before? And I, yeah, like I'm talking like a physical fight. But when I was 15, I went into high school and I went into it knowing very well that there was a good chance I was going to have some issues because I had struggled a bit with bullying before. And I'm not saying like I was an angel either, but there were a lot of older girls that didn't really like me when I went to high school. And it made my life really, really hard at that time. And I remember the first time, you know, the whole only bite when stepped on, I got stompled on one day, like stompled on, spit out. It was horrible. Like I just remember being like so upset about it and just hating going to school and just worse experiences because I I was struggling with it so much, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so one day, I don't know what came over me, 
but God dang it, I just went for it. Like this girl, she shoved me and I don't know where it came from, but I just went right back at it and it turned into an actual physical fight. Now I am not condoning this. This was not a good way to do this because I don't believe in this now. Like as I've grown older, one of the things that I have become acutely aware of is that I am a big person of peace. You know, I think that you can resolve issues without needing to get physical and without needing to actually fight. I think that if two people or even two groups of people can come together with open-mindedness and respect, like mutual respect, they don't necessarily have to agree, but you can come to some sort of conclusion without needing to disagree in a physical or a negative or I don't know, like I guess like a, a severely destructive way. I guess I don't necessarily believe in destruction in that way. And so you don't always have to fight your way through things. And that is, I guess, what I was trying to say earlier with the whole, you don't need to bite in a negative way if you're stepped on. I think that we can kill things with kindness a lot of the time. I think that we can come to conclusions, even if the other side that is kind of up against us isn't willing to do the same. I think that we can always find a root within ourselves, whether we become mindful and meditate on it, whether we journal about it, talk about it with a therapist, or try and really, you know, come to terms with just stepping up and being like, this is what I think, and this is what I believe in, and this is what I would like to say, while also leaving space and room for other people to do the same. And maybe you won't agree, and maybe you never will agree, but that doesn't always mean that you have to fight. And number 16 is follow your intuition. Now, this is something that I didn't do a lot in my teen years, and it was such a superpower that I think all of us have, and I definitely felt at that age, but I completely ignored it. Like every single time my intuition was like, all right, Kaylin, this is a horrible idea. I was like, yeah, it is. And then I went ahead and did it anyway. And then of course, when the repercussions came, I was like, what the hell, man? Like, I don't want to have to deal with this, but it was all stemming from the fact that I was really good at ignoring my intuition. And I'm talking about this with situations with boys in high school and situations of being extremely uncomfortable, but doing things anyway, or in situations where I didn't speak up for myself or situations where I was hanging around maybe the wrong crowd or doing the wrong things. And just knowing that like, this is not a good idea. And my intuition right now is screaming at me that this is not a good idea. And I had to learn the hard way. And it wasn't until I would say I was about like 17 that I really started to listen to that voice almost in a way out of guilt. And then that turned into me kind of almost overcorrecting my problems. But at the same time, it was such a life learning lesson that there is that little voice inside of you that's always kind of telling you right from wrong and in terms of what's right and wrong for you. Maybe not always what's right and wrong for everyone, but there is that little voice that's saying like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do this or, oh my God, yes, this is absolutely meant for us. Go for it. And when you learn how to follow it and do so in an authentic way and with like no expectation, it truly does become your superpower. Number 17, there is no such thing as perfect. Again, this is one of those things that I really, really wish I could go back and talk to my teenage self about this because this is something that was rooted in my teens and I think I still kind of deal with it in my own way now where I expect so much perfection out of myself in terms of just always wanting to present myself like complete and nothing is ever going to be complete because life is constantly moving forward. As long as there is time, as long as there is, 
you know, the progression of anything, nothing is ever fully complete. And so there is no such thing as perfection in the sense that you can't perfect anything because you're always going to be learning, growing, moving. And quite usually we go through the same type of trials and tribulations more than once in our lives because we need to keep learning and doing and going wrong and then critiquing and correcting and trying to perfect again. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to find your own definition of perfect in the sense that if your definition of perfect is stemmed to something more intrinsic than extrinsic, so personal growth or trying to perfect the relationships or the community that you have in your life or trying to perfect maybe your goals with doing things that are for the community or doing things that help the world rather than trying to perfect your image, trying to perfect how much money you make or trying to perfect your popularity. I think when we work more inwardly on those like personal growth relationships and community, that there is a sense of perfection that we can kind of use as like a visualization and in a way use that as like a manifestation to actually grow. But I don't think that when our perfection comes from images that we think or have been told are what perfection is, whether that's body image or what you're supposed to look like in terms of the way you wear your makeup, the way you wear your clothes, or this makes you perfect or that makes you perfect. And if those are materialistic things, those are not true. That is, There's no such thing as that. And that is just what is being told to you or what you're accepting as a truth. And we all do it. And then we're putting this unrealistic pressure on ourselves of this is perfect. And that just doesn't exist. I think perfection is trial and error. I think perfection is falling down and getting back up. And I think that perfection is just life. Like life in its own way is perfectly imperfect. Again, I know that's super corny, but it's so true. And so that to me is my own definition of perfect. And I feel like we should all kind of push ourselves to really ask what do we define as perfect and how can we critique or change it just enough that it becomes kind of like a way to lift our wings instead of a way to weigh us down. 18, follow your heart. Again, kind of like following your intuition, I think that following your heart is a little different in the sense that there is always going to be that little bit of passion inside of you, whether it's compassion, whether it's you know empathy, whether it's just love in general. And I think that following your heart is one of the most terrifying things you will do because following your intuition kind of comes from a place in your gut. You know, it's almost like, again, I'm learning a lot about chakras right now. So it's almost like that inner sense of being that just understands or knows exactly kind of before you do. It's almost like a greater knowledge, but following your heart isn't always a greater knowledge. It's almost like a greater feeling, whether it is following the things that feel like true to you in your heart, like love. It could be loved ones. I know that there's a lot of people that'll be like, I'm stuck in a situation, but I'm in love with somebody else. A big, huge one would be following your heart in terms of career or purpose on this earth. Like if you feel like in your heart, you want to do good by volunteering in a third world country, or maybe you want to follow your heart and become a singer or uh, an actress, a poet, whatever it is. But there is this realistic side of you that says, well, maybe I should go to school and get a diploma in this instead. It can be so, so, so hard to follow your heart because there is no insurance on it. There's no insurance that your heart might not be broken. There's no insurance that you might not fail. But when you do follow your heart, I think that no matter where you end up, it is always tenfold better or you learn way more or you are more wise, more you, more whatever than you would be if you were to just do the thing that makes most sense because following your heart never does usually make sense. 
but that's kind of like the fun of it, you know? 19, great things take time. I put this as 19 because when I was 19 years old, this was like the first time that I really started to zone in on goals, like really being like, okay, next year I am 20. And at this point I had really taken on YouTube. And this was like the beginning of a whole new just chapter of my life or a whole new phase of my life in terms of my online digital world. And I expected to have perfection overnight. And I basically expected to know exactly who I was at 19 so that I could share who that person was. And I gave myself no real sense of time to really get great at anything. I wanted greatness out of myself right away. And that was so choking and so, I guess, disheartening because I was constantly feeling down about myself when I didn't feel great. But the thing is, is that great things take like great time. And I say that even now being 25, knowing that I'm only scratching a surface because I think when we're all 80, that's when we'll be, we will be great when we're 80. Okay. I I don't know why, I feel that 80 is the age, but when I am 80, I hope I'm great. Like I hope that I'm like looking back and not regretting anything, not wishing I had gone for it, not waiting to see if it's going to turn out right for me or wondering what if. I think that when we're 80, we're going to feel great because we're going to have done it. You know, I'm just putting that out there to the universe right now. But great things do take a great amount of time. And even if you're just trying to learn a new hobby, even if you're trying to change or grow or work on a habit or whatever it is, if you're trying for greatness, if you're even just trying to create a book or create a concept or bring an idea to life, it is going to take time. And patience is not easy. But if you want greatness, then you're going to have to give yourself the space to grow it. 20, there is beauty in the madness. I put this as 20 because this is one of the worst, I think, dips that I really took with mental health and depression. And I vividly remember again, as always, that like where I was sitting when I wrote this really, really, really honest journal entry in one of my earlier journals. And it was like the first time I became really real with myself as to where I felt like I was. And in a weird way, this is going to probably make me sound a little crazy. I started laughing. Like it was the first time I brought this weight out into the world. And even if I wasn't talking about it with anyone, and even if I wasn't even necessarily actually talking about it at all, I wrote it down on paper, how I was really feeling. And it kind of made me see the beauty in it. I was like, okay, this is something I can look at now. These are words on paper. These are not just feelings in my heart or thoughts in my mind. This is something I'm looking at right now. And now that I'm looking at it, like there's kind of some beauty in that because I feel like I'm learning from this. And I feel like even though I don't know what it's trying to teach me yet, I had this great sense that it was going to teach me something. And knowing that, it kind of became this thing where I was able to start seeing the good in the bad in almost any other area of my life. Like, okay, why do I feel this way? Why is this depression so hard right now? Or why am I feeling so heavy? Or why am I feeling so hopeless? And then I was able to look at, well, because of this. And then I was like, okay, but what did that thing teach me then? And what am I learning right now? And where is that beauty? Like, where is that goodness out of this maybe not so fun or not so great or not so pretty. And learning that habit to find the good and the bad, to find things to be grateful for, even when things aren't necessarily going exactly as planned or exactly as you hoped or great at all. Maybe they're going horribly wrong. That is such an important superpower to learn at an early age, I think too, because then when you do 
I like a year later deal with maybe the same problem or a similar problem, you're able to get faster at being like, okay, this sucks. But if this didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. And that is a great thing. And that is a beautiful thing. And learning to find and seek out the beauty in the madness will make you feel a little less mad and a little bit more, I don't want to say part of something beautiful because that is so corny, but it makes you feel better about feeling a little off or feeling a little crazy sometimes. 21, allow space for your fear. This one, being 21, um, again, I don't necessarily think I tied it to anything in particular at 21, but anxiety is one of those things that I've also dealt with a lot in my life too. And it's one of those things that I never let myself have space for. Every time anxiety would pop up, every time a panic attack would pop up, it was almost like my first gut reaction was, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time to freak out. I don't have time to be afraid. I don't have time to panic. But that almost made the panic and the fear worse because then I wasn't giving myself or giving it a place to breathe. I think that that stemmed mostly from fear that if I allowed myself to have space for the things I was most afraid of, that then they would come true. But that's not the case at all. And I think that there's a lot of misleading information out there in the world about manifesting and like what you choose to focus on grows and, you know, you got to keep your mind positive. And I myself have constantly preached that. And I know that it is something that I preach to myself too, but we have to allow ourselves some space for fear. Remember, the first time I read You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, it was the first time I ever really took this in. And it was like the whole, okay, fear, you don't have to go away. Like these thoughts, we don't have to pretend they don't exist. And we don't have to pretend that they can't happen. We don't have to say like, go away. We just have to say, you can stay. It just, I don't need to attach to you. Creating space for your fear and creating space for things that aren't so fun to deal with doesn't necessarily mean you have to latch on to them. It's instead allowing them to not control you. It almost creates a space between you and your fear where those things are no longer in your blind spot anymore. You're pulling them forward. You're putting them in the light. You're looking at them. And then you're saying, I don't like you, but I'm not going to say you have to go away because here you are and you exist. And I'm not going to pretend that that is not a truth. So get in the car. That's the way Jensen Cheryl put it. It's like, get in the car, but you're not driving the steering wheel. I'm still driving my life. And even if you're in the car and I'm aware that you're here, you're not going to control the drive. You're not going to control the radio. You're not going to control the temperature, but you're allowed to come along for the ride. And when you do that, you create that space for your fear. It allows you to, in my opinion, digest that fear and eventually, maybe not right away, but release that fear. Like, okay, I know that this podcast is getting really, really long, but I keep on getting on these tangents and I just want to, I don't know, I'm talking a lot because I've had two coffees today, but even last night, okay, I'm a, I'm a admit something very, I guess, kind of corny, but last night I was doing this meditation. Okay. So the book that I'm reading, it's talking about how it's good to meditate right before bed and right when you wake up in the morning. So that has been a new habit of mine, even if it's just for five minutes. And so while I fall asleep, I try and fall asleep on my back and I always put my hands on any given area on my body. And I always, I kind of do it instinctively. And then I become aware of where I put them. And again, I'm really into chakras right now. So every time I do that, I almost notice that either both of my hands go on one chakra or they each kind of end up landing or planting themselves on two different ones. And just last night I was digesting this emotion that I had. And it was an overwhelming emotion that I realized was stemming from a very, very younger version of myself. I probably sound crazy to you right now, but 
I'm just going to keep going. Um, anyways, it was stemming from a very young age where I, for the first time, allowed myself to feel this fear that I had been tucking away and pretending it didn't exist. And instead, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to allow myself to feel this and ride that wave. And it was so uncomfortable in the sense that I was trying to kind of fall asleep and I was in that in-between where you're not fully asleep and you're not fully awake. So it kind of felt like I was dreaming, but I wasn't. And this basic vision came to life of what I was doing earlier that day. And at what point that moment of the day kind of triggered this little fear in me that started at a really young age as a kid. And as I was digesting this emotion, this overwhelming sense of just, it was almost like an out of body. I was like floating above myself. And then I instantly just died. Like I could feel myself digesting that fear that had built up so much over time. And it was like my heart started racing and I wasn't freaking out, but I was in the sense of just realizing the release that was coming from it. And I just kept on taking a big deep breath and being like, okay, release, like release. And I know that that sounds really corny, but as I was doing this, there's no way for me to put into words the sensation that I felt within my body, but oh my Lord, like it was the most incredible thing to witness because I felt like I wasn't in a driver's seat, like a younger version of me was. And It was almost like my younger self was allowing me to see at what point I turned this fear off and I didn't allow myself to feel it or understand it or allow it any space in my life because I thought that, you know, it wasn't helping me in any way and it didn't do me any good to to think about it because it wasn't going to change. But again, instead of telling myself it didn't matter, it didn't exist, I allowed myself to fully bring it forward, shine some light on it. And then release it out into the world and see that, okay, I felt this and now I can let it go. And I felt so, I don't want to say weird, but like lighter. And I know that again, that that sounds like kind of cliche and totally cringy and like corny, but it's true. Like it was one of those just weird, I had a big epiphany last night, guys. And it was like, so odd for me to digest this thing that I had no intentions of going through or digesting. So I don't want to say easily either because it wasn't easy, but it was like, it was meant to happen. And I was so just taken back and I felt so free, I guess. And then this morning I woke up and I was just like, wow, yeah, that happened last night. And like, I feel like not a whole new person today, but I just feel like a lighter person today. It's a really, really beautiful, cringe, cringe, cringe thing for us to hold some space for our fear and allow our fears to get in the car and come with us without driving our direction, you know? And when we get better at doing that, I don't think those fears hold us back as much anymore and we don't hold them so tightly in our bodies through tension. We don't hold them so tightly in our psyche through horrible habits And instead, we feel them out and we feel them without fear and then we're able to release them. Number 22 is see the world. 22 was the first year I really started to travel. Now, I had traveled before that, but it was like I really started to take a dip into testing out new places. And it was the first time I solo traveled. It was a trip to LA. I went by myself. And it was during that year that I was talking to you guys about where I felt really – I guess, lost and like kind of afraid and really sad. And I guess I went through pockets of loneliness, but I also went through pockets of being just happily alone. And going on this trip was so 
eye-opening because it was really outside of my comfort zone. And seeing the world, whether it's just outside your backyard, and that even means like I think we've become way too good at not even going for walks by yourself or, you know, when was the last time you went and sat at a restaurant by yourself? I've fallen in love with that. And solo travel forced me to fall in love with that where – when you're traveling by yourself, there's no one to go for dinner or lunch with. So you go by yourself and I bring a book and I realize that there's so much peace of mind that comes from that. Like, even though there are times, I'm not going to lie that when you're sitting alone and you're in a busy restaurant, you're like, Oh God, who's judging me for being alone right now. But then I, I instantly try and think like, wait, am I judging me for being alone right now? And oftentimes the answer is yes. And then I'm able to be like, well, I don't need to do that because I feel pretty happy with it. And then you just kind of roll it off your sleeve and it gives you so much more ability to get out there and really do things and see the world. You don't have to travel to do that. Seeing the world is even just opening your eyes to what's around you right now. Like what is around you right now? Where are you? Where are you going? Who are you seeing? What are you doing? And like see all the opportunity that sits around you by opening your eyes up to the world and not being so afraid to do so by yourself. Number 23, guys, we're three away from being done. But number 23 is let yourself fall. 23, I don't know if this one necessarily came exactly from this, but I can only guess it did. That that was like the first time I felt like I really kind of failed myself or was, I guess, digesting it with myself and being honest with myself in the ways that I did feel like I was failing myself and the ways I wanted to do better. And I think when we let ourselves fall, It's almost kind of like the holding the space for your fear. You almost have to hold space for your failure too. And I, for the longest time, never wanted to admit when I was wrong. I never wanted to admit when I had failed and not in the way that I didn't want to admit it to other people. That was never my problem. I would like to think I'm pretty good at being honest when I'm not necessarily right to other people, but I was never really good at doing it with myself. Like it was almost like I didn't want to, again, hold space for my failure because then that made it more real. And then if I was aware that I had failed, I really struggle with self-doubt sometimes. And I was afraid that holding space for my failure meant that I would become too used to failing and would become, I guess, too attached to the truth that I was a failure. So I never let myself feel my failure. I just pushed through it and didn't let myself fall. And that turned into a lot of burnout. That turned into a lot of overscheduling myself and overexerting myself and pushing myself too hard and too fast. And, you know, sometimes you're going to fall and that is so normal. Like I'm becoming also aware of the fact that I'm a dramatic person and like falling doesn't need to be a big dramatic, like, you know, in soccer, how there's always like that joke that when someone hurts, they like fall to the ground and they're like rolling around like, ah, or like that episode of Family Guy. I hope you guys do watch Family Guy. I do watch it now and I am allowed to watch it without parents, guys. Big deal. I'm telling you. But that episode of Family Guy where he like stubs his toe on the sidewalk and he's like, ah, ah, and he does that for like 10 minutes. And it's just like one of those things where they take it way too long into the episode on purpose. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. You know, we all fall down. It's totally normal. We've probably all heard this metaphor, but if we had stayed down and what, like when we had fallen the first time as kids trying to walk, we never would have learned how to walk. And not only that, nobody got up and just walked the first time when we were babies. So we all fall. Nobody just gets success. And if you do, that's great, but that's one in a million. And if that happens again, you're not going to know unless you actually take the chance of falling. So let yourself fall. There's no big deal in failure. There's no big deal in not getting it right the first time. All that matters, I, again, super cringe and corn. 
but is that you get back up because that is the biggest thing. It's not about falling down. It's about staying down. And if you stay down and you believe you're a failure by allowing yourself to fall, then it just does no good for you. What matters is that once you do fall, I guess take it with humility, if anything, you put your pride aside and you think like, okay, I fell, kind of laugh it off dust it off, get up and just try again. It's not a big deal. We all fail. We all fall. And there's so much life still to go on ahead of us. And it's totally okay to fall down sometimes. 24, there is no wrong decision, only indecision. (sighs) Okay. This is a big, big one for me because 24 was only last year. And 24 was a big year of learning this exact thing in itself, where it was almost like last year, I couldn't make a decision on exactly what I was trying to do. So instead, I just became extremely indecisive about everything, like I I, down to what I wanted for dinner, like it was like everything held so much weight. And I felt like I was always going to choose wrong, or at least I had a fear that I was constantly choosing wrong. And whether it was in my life partner, whether it was in where I was living, whether it was in what kind of lifestyle I was choosing and, you know, what the things I was choosing to say, it it boiled down to like an extreme anxiety. When I'd be around people, I could almost feel this sense of consciousness coming in being like, that was a stupid thing to say or, and that's like a little bit of social anxiety that I've learned more and more is totally normal. And I've become more aware of it now because I think that the only wrong decision you can make is no decision at all. Like to not speak up because you're afraid of saying something stupid is wrong because I don't think you can necessarily say anything stupid. And anyone who does give you the reaction that what you said is stupid, that is a them problem. And that is totally their business and not yours. And yeah, okay, everything that leaves our mouth isn't necessarily Oscar nominating you know, speeches. I don't know if that even made sense, but even that in itself was not like the the most articulate way for me to say what I'm trying to say here. But I made the decision to say it rather than not say anything at all, I guess is what I'm trying to get across here. And I think that when we become extremely indecisive, it stems from extreme insecurity. And that was a big, big pillar. I was, I guess, trying to move around last year because I became so insecure in my ability to make a decision and I became so insecure in fearing that one wrong decision would set me off the course of a horrible trajectory in my life. And that's just not the case. I don't think that you can choose wrong because even if it's not right for you, you'll learn something from it and you'll be able to then turn and head in a new direction. And if you don't like the direction you're heading in, you can always turn around and make the decision to go a different way. But the only problem or the only wrong decision that you could ever make is to make no active, you know, purposeful decision at all. All right, here we go, guys. Number 25, and I'm only like a few months into 25, but the biggest thing I think I'm learning right now is that it's never too late to start fresh and begin again. And I say that in a way of one of the things that my therapist has said to me that is always stuck with me is take a deep breath and just begin again. And you can do that any moment in the day. You can do that any day in the week and you can do that any week in the year or any month in the year or any year in your life. You know, When you feel like, like I just said, you're not liking the direction you're heading in, just take a deep breath. It's not a big deal. And just begin again. It's not a horrible thing. Or if you are trying to say something and it's not coming out right, or if you are trying to do something and it's not happening or whatever it is, you can just take a big 
deep breath and start all over right here, right now, and just do better this time. You don't have to always be heading in the wrong direction. You don't always have to be, you know, stuck exactly where you are. There's always a chance to begin again. And there's so much importance that comes from that because that means that you're never stuck where you are. You are never stuck feeling the way you feel. You're never stuck being the person that you are. You're never stuck. Okay. I feel like I'm almost kind of saying this to even just a few months ago, me, where you might feel stuck and you might feel like wherever you landed after the dust has fallen is maybe not where you want to be, or maybe you're starting to feel like there's some change that needs to happen that you're, you're wanting to kind of cultivate for yourself. And you are totally entitled to do so because there are no rules here. I mean, yes, there's always the rules of, you know, don't, you know, walk around hurting anybody. Don't be a serial killer. Don't, there's certain rules to life. We all do know that, but there are no rules to being who you want to be. There might be people that'll try and tell you who you need to be or tell you what they want from you, but there, those aren't rules. Those are just suggestions and you can take them with a grain of salt if you like, and just take a big giant deep breath and start fresh and begin again. It's never too late. So there you guys have it. Those are the 25 things I learned in the first 25 years of my life. I cannot wait for the next 25 for all of us to be, I don't know if we'll be podcasting then or if this will be like a hologram or holographic, who knows what this will be. It might even be artificial intelligence telling you 25 things. Maybe I will have, okay, I don't want to put that into the universe. I was about to go down a really weird spiral there saying that I would program myself into a computer, but I plan on still being here in 25 years. So I will see you there and we will talk about next 25 things that I will learn and you might learn too. As always, I want to hear what age you are and what amount of things you've learned in those years. So feel free to take this as your inspo, spin it, text it, I guess you can't text it, tweet it or Instagram it at me, or, you know, just maybe journal about it or just sit with this and resonate with it within yourself. Or maybe you don't even want to do that. And that's cool too. Um, But either way, I've been talking for a long time. And as always, I should probably just close this down. I'm feeling weird, guys. Honestly, I'm about to head to the dentist. and I'm a little little nervous. I have to be there in 10 minutes. So I feel like I'm just kind of procrastinating now by continuing to jabble and talk with you guys. But I really should head out. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's Coffee Talk podcast episode. And aside from that, I will talk to all of you guys next week. Bye, guys.